It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And this is Cleveland's team, a baseball history podcast. A regular look back at professional baseball in Cleveland from 1901 and beyond. Now, here's your host, Guardians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hey Guardians fans, we are back with another podcast. On this week's episode, we sit down with Pat Tabler, a former first-round pick of the New York Yankees. Pat played several seasons for Cleveland from 1983 until 1988 when he was traded to the Royals. Pat also represented Cleveland in the 1987 All-Star Game. So we chat about that and uh, a lot more. Hope you enjoy. But anyway, like I said, we're going to just focus on your your Cleveland tenure. But first... um, Start back at the beginning. I'd like to ask everyone, you know, when did you realize that baseball was going to be a, an option for you? I mean, obviously, you excelled in baseball. Yeah, you know, um, I wasn't a baseball player growing up. I played baseball, but I wasn't a baseball player. I played basketball. I was going to college to play basketball. I was going to go to Virginia Tech. I had a full ride, and I happened to be a pretty good baseball player. And... Uh, after I'd signed to go to Virginia Tech, and the reason I went there is they were going to allow me to play baseball and basketball, I got drafted by the Yankees. And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, all right, which one do I have a better chance at like making you know, a career out of? And, it, and I said, baseball. So I signed with the Yankees, and I never went to college. So you didn't know the Yankees were looking at you, or was that a surprise? That was a surprise. Uh, people, you know, there were rumors. I mean, things were different back in 1976, <laughs> okay? think they, they were different. You didn't have all these magazines with all these top prospects and all that. There were rumors like, hey, you know, you could get drafted. And I had worked out for a couple of teams, and I worked out for the Reds. But the Reds had won in 75, so they had the last pick in the first round. They said, if you're there, we're thinking about taking you. And I didn't make it down to them. I, how many teams were there? 24 back then in 1976? Somewhere Something like that? 20, 24? So, um, you know, I loved basketball. I never played summer baseball in high school. Never. Um, but they said, you know, you have some talent. We're going to draft you. And that's why it took so long to, to finally get up there. I, I had to catch up to everybody who had been playing summer baseball. So being from the Cincinnati area, you just kind of threw any Yankees feelings in the backseat, granted different leagues. But, you know, if you're not a Yankees fan, you tend to, to not feel much for them. Reds fan. And and the Reds were such a big part of, you know, youth baseball back then. It was the big red machine. They happened to play the Yankees in the World Series that year, if you remember. But they were such an influence. There were so many good baseball players that came out of Cincinnati that time. Pete Rose and... Eddie Brinkman, and then, you know, as you got older, 
There were three number one picks in 1976, back to back to back, out of Cincinnati high school kids. And next year there were two. Uh, Richard Dotson was uh, was from Cincinnati, and then of course Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Larkin, and that that it, the whole crew. And I think a lot of that was because of the influence of the Cincinnati Reds. And so you, you go through the Yankee system, and then you end up with the Cubs. Um, play around with the Cubs a little bit. Do you remember the, the announcement of the trade to Cleveland? Cause you were with the White Sox at the time. They had picked you up from the Cubs, and was it just get in the office and you have some news? Or <laughs> Nothing is that easy in my life. I was with the White Sox, and I was having a pretty good spring. And it was April 1st, and we went to Fort Myers to play the Royals in one of the last spring training games. And Tony LaRusso pulls me off to the side. He said, you were in the lineup. I'm taking you out of the lineup. There might be a trade. And so I sat there during the whole game, and I never played. And I said, you know, I thought it was an April Fool's joke. I really did. And then at the end of the day, he was going to say, hey, you know, you made the team. I hit like 380 or something like that. And he called me in his office and said, we traded you to Cleveland during the game. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was like a shock. I, I thought it, I seriously thought it was an April Fool's joke and he was just, you know, pulling my leg. But no, they traded me to Cleveland. And the, my first thought was, I'll be close to home. I, I got to make the major league team, but I'm going to be close to home. And um, Phil Sagey and Gabe Paul were the, the general managers then. And they said, you know, the team has been said, it was one of the last days of spring training. And they said, you know, we want you to go down to the minor leagues because the 25-man roster has been said, if something happens, you'll be the first guy to get called up. And everybody asked for a break. Well, I literally got a break. Toby Hara broke his wrist the first road trip of the season. And I got called up then like a week into the season and never went back to the minor leagues. Um, so growing up, watching the Big Red Machine, obviously in Ohio, any thoughts of, of Cleveland at the time? I mean, were you, had you ever been to the ballpark up in Cleveland or? I lived here when I was four years old. I never knew that. My mom told me that after I played for Cleveland, she said, you know, we lived there in 1962. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, did I have any feelings? I, no, I was like, I was close to home. I was basically, I felt like I was home. I was in my home state. I was three and a half hours away. Friends and family could come up all the time. And it was the best five and a half years of my baseball career. Playing here, I felt like I was home. And do you remember anything about that, you know, initial, you know, time in Cleveland once you get here? You kind of had a, a stable uh, manager for the most part during your time here. It only switched uh, three times, um, you know. In five years? <laughs> That's all? <laughs> you know, in baseball, you know, unless you're like a Mike Trout or in my era, Roger Clemens, I mean, super duper stars, you need to... You need to catch a break, but you need somebody in your corner. And I had never had anybody in my corner who believed in me and said, just go out there and play until I came here. Gabe Paul, like I said, was the GM of the Yankees when they drafted me in 76. Mike Ferraro, who was the manager of the Indians at that time, was my manager in the minor league system with the, um, the Yankees. Ed Napoleon was his like bench coach, first base coach. He was my manager for like three or four years in the Yankee organization. 
and they traded for me and Mike said, you're going to play, don't worry about going 0 for 4, just go out there and play. And I swear it felt like a piano was lifted off my shoulders. I'm like, I don't have to go out there and like every pitch is, you know, going to be do or die. I'm going to stay in the big leagues or I'm going to get sent out if I don't get a hit. I just went out there and played and it was like so refreshing and so, so much easier to play the game of baseball when like you're going to play. We're going to, and, and I did well. It worked out. Uh, did you know anyone that was with Cleveland at the time or you kind of just knew and kind of tossed in there? Uh, I, jeez, let me think, because <laughs> that's a long time ago. Um, I do not believe I knew, except Ed Napoleon and Mike Ferraro, you know, they were on the coaching staff. Player-wise, I had never played with or played against some of the guys, because they were in the big leagues and I was in the minor leagues. A couple years later, when like Brett Butler and Brooke Jacoby and Joe Carter and Mel Hall all got traded here, I played with those guys or against those guys in the minor league. But at that time, I, I didn't know anybody. And uh, it, it, being back in Cleveland brings back a lot of great memories of those first couple years. And who'd you kind of, I guess, gel with when you got here? I mean, who you, who'd you kind of get drawn to? Uh, I, I was really good friends with Brooke Jacoby after he came here and Scotty Bales. Um, and, you know, we're still friends to this day. Joe Carter, he and I played together in Chicago with the Cubs, uh, with Toronto, and here. So and we're still friends to this day. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't a thing. We were, at that time, it was a very, when I first got here, it was a veteran team. And I was, me and Julio were some of the youngest guys on the team, but then they started trading the veteran guys and bringing in young guys, and then it, it, we kind of grew up together in the organization. In your wildest dreams, would you ever have seen Julio playing for as long as he did? That's kind of uh, you know, a fan favorite, I think, of Julio, no. and that man just couldn't stop playing. I don't know, he might still be playing. You know, I, I don't know if he was ahead of his time, but back in the mid-'80s, he would go to the health club and work out three days a week and lift weights and eat health foods and stuff like that. And I'm like, what, what is he doing? I mean, he's not your regular, you know, chicken and beer kind of guy. He, he like really took care of his body and it helped him to, to play as long as he played. And he, um, I, no, I, did, I didn't see him playing that long, but what a talented, talented baseball player he was. Now, your time in Cleveland also coincides with towards the end of, of the stadium's, you know, usefulness and, you know. It's a you, nice way to put it. <laughs> it holds so much uh, sentimental value to fans. They love seeing the old pictures. As a player, did you, you know, coming from, well, you came from Chicago with, with Wrigley, mm -hmm. so obviously that had its own uh, unique quirks to it. But coming to this ballpark, do you remember things just being out of date or broken or did you just say I'm in the majors man screw it that didn't matter at all the the state I was in the big leagues you know and we all the young guys together we were in the big leagues and it and it felt like a little fraternity of you know baseball brothers and no that didn't bother me at all I had a guy come up to me the other day and was telling me about the behind the fence parties that he used to go to when he was a kid 
And I said, I can still remember those Sunday mornings, those hamburgers cooking while we were taking batting practice. He goes, well, I was one of those kids back there, and you, you came back and you autographed my thing, and it's so great to have you back in Cleveland and stuff like that. But I remember that. They, I remember like it was yesterday because I can remember the sights and sounds and smells of those Saturday, Sunday mornings, those hamburgers cooking and going back behind the fence and saying, can you give me a hamburger? I'm really hungry. <laughs> and I need an hamburger and sign autographs and take pictures with people. And uh, do you remember those games? Because I think talking to Scotty, he mentioned that you know, he threw a, he pitched an opener here and you know, 50, 60,000 fans. Then the next day, maybe 4,000 fans. Do you remember that ebb and flow of... Sure, sure. And, and I, I always said, and I said it then, and I'll say it then. Now, I, I said if, if the... Cleveland Ball Club ever got a winning, consistent team, they will set records for attendance. And unfortunately, I, I wasn't part of it. I had already left, but I watched from afar 455 straight sellouts, 455, because they were a consistent winner year after year, and they love Cleveland baseball in this part of town. They, they love it, and uh, it didn't surprise me that they would set attendance records because in the old stadium, you know, like you said, they'd come on July 4th or opening day and then there'd be 10,000 the next day and you couldn't even see them. But man, if you had a good team, I, I remember when we won like 10 in a row and we couldn't start games on time because people were rushing the, the box offices to, to get into the stadium, you know? And I think that's where that Brett Butler article comes in where he mentioned, you know, it was a 10-game win streak and then you guys lost like 19-2 to two or something like that to someone and he was, you know, upset with the fans. Uh, so it seemed to be, I mean, any sports fan, I guess, can be yeah. fickle with that. Um, do you recall, too, I mean, a lot of people mentioned that being on the lake, that, that wind would whip in and made it kind of a hard place to play in April. And Do you remember any of those days where... Uh, Snow... Played in snow, played in rain, played in bugs, played in uh, fog, played in hot, cold, rainy, the whole the whole thing. That's just the way it is. And it's still cold in April playing here. It doesn't matter that you're on the It's still cold. That's just the way it is. And you, you've been in the league a little bit before you came to Cleveland, but were there guys, whether when you were with the Cubs or, or here, that you know, you'd step in the batter's box and there's Nolan Ryan or there's you know, pitchers like that that you had to kind of say, you know, pinch me because the average person will never get a chance in a major league you know, uh, batter's box, but growing up watching the game and, and being a fan, was it ever surreal as a player to be out there? Absolutely. You're, and, and if people say it isn't, they're lying to you because if you care about the game, like I care about the game, you, you, you think of those things. And I remember my first game. I was with the Chicago Cubs, and I'm like looking at the Ivy, and I'm looking at the bleacher bombs, and then I'm in Wrigley Field, and I'm like, this is the place I used to watch the Cincinnati Reds play, and now here I am playing for them. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't remember how many outs there were. I couldn't remember the score. I, could, I was just so excited. And, yeah, when you face Nolan Ryan or Steve Carlton or uh, Ron Guidry or some of these Gaylord Perry, yeah, you're like, holy smack. But then you, you're like, okay, I want to beat these guys now. I want to show them that I can beat these guys. And, and that's what overtakes your, your thought process. Big fan of Gaylord, Nate, and I like to talk about Gaylord. Did you, so you went up against him. Did you ever, were you able to hit Gaylord or? When he threw it straight, <laughs> he, he pitched against us in spring training. 
And I'm telling you, I'd never seen a ball do what that thing did when he threw it. And I'm like going, hey, come on, man, it's spring training. Give me, give me a break, you know? And he'd just sit out there and laugh, you know? Gosh, those were, those were some fun times. Any uh, you know, particular pitcher that you found extremely tough that you said you couldn't even buy a hit off of anyone that? I could not hit Jack Morris or Dave Steed. I got hits off of them, but I couldn't hit them. And I, one game in particular for both of them, like Steve, you know, fastball that would run in on you or slider away, and you're like, I can't hit both of them, so I'm going to sit on one of them. So I was sitting on the slider, and of course, he drills me right in the back with a fastball. So I always remember that, and when we became teammates, I reminded him of that. And he goes, oh yeah, I was doing that on purpose, because I could tell you were leaning out over the plate. <laughs> And then Jack Morris, he was with Detroit, and my first time up, he was tough. He, I, we knew what pitches were coming when he was out of the windup. We had, we had, he was doing something with his glove that we picked up on, and sure enough, but we still couldn't hit it. And my first time up, it, strike one, strike two, fork ball, struck me out. Second time up, strike one, strike two, fork ball, strike three, second time. Third time up, strike one, strike two, fourth ball, three strikeouts. And we got into the ninth inning, and Brooke Jacoby was hitting ahead of me with two outs. I'm like, Jake, make an out. <laughs> I don't want to hit again against this guy. I don't want to hit against him. He gets on base, strike one, strike two. And I'm like, <laughs> I've never struck out four times like ever in my life. He throws a fastball right down the middle, and I hit a home run against him. And I'm laughing around the bases, laughing all the way around the bases. And a couple of years later, we're teammates in Toronto. And I, I reminded him of that. And he's like, hey, I felt sorry for you. <laughs> I go, bull crap, I don't believe that. He was so competitive. I go, Jack, you're the dumbest pitcher, man. You had me, all you had to do, you could roll it up there and I would have swung him this, but, or thrown a split. He threw a fastball down the middle, hit a home run. I think the only time I ever got a hit off of him. And you played in an era too. A lot of the stadiums just aren't there anymore. Do you remember any particular one that stuck out to you? I mean, Detroit's old ballpark was unique, old Yankee Stadium. Do you remember just those those times out there and just being on the same field where there's Fenway where Babe Ruth played or, or Yeah, you have all those memories of those of all those old stadiums. But I didn't like playing on AstroTurf inside domes. It was just weird. I hated the Metrodome. It felt like you were hitting inside a mall. I hated the Kingdome. Just hated it. They had some bad teams, but I couldn't get any hits there because it just felt weird. And, and old Tiger Stadium, home plate was turned cockeyed for left-handed batters to hit it into the upper deck. And I'd stand over there, and home plate, it was just tilted a little bit. And I'd stand and I'd go, something doesn't seem right here. And the grass was like this thick, you know, you had to get the ball. And uh, I love that stadium, but I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> now, I, I know you weren't a pitcher, but did you ever run into Feller at spring training? I know oh, the yeah. other guys. And do you remember any stories from Bob or any, I like to get- Love Bob, love Bob. I mean, he was like an encyclopedia of the game of baseball that I missed because I wasn't born and I would pick his brain all the time. And one night I was asking him about Jackie Robinson I, because, you know, I, how many people, you know, played against Jackie Robinson? He said he was a heck of a 
heck of a baseball player. And I'd ask him about Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams, all those people. And I, I loved listening and talking to Bob and hearing stories of, of the old days. And he, he told me, he said, uh, uh, he threw a no-hitter and the batting averages didn't go down. And I'm like, huh? How do you throw no hitter and the batting averages don't go down? He says, figure it out. So I did, I figured it out. And I, you're shaking your head like you know, and I'm like. It's a good bar bet if you're at a bar. It's a great bar bet. It's a great trivia question too. Great trivia questions. I've stumped many a people, and Bob told me that 40 years ago. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, what were the, the clubhouses like? Again, the team, you know, wasn't, con- well, wasn't contending and... Was that something that you guys knew going into uh, the seasons that this, these teams are just, you know, not quite to a, a level of, of the Cleveland teams yeah. that we played for? Yeah, I, to a man, nobody thought like that. Okay, nobody. Everybody's like, we're going to win. We're building something good here. It's going to happen. You never thought about, you know, we stink. We're never going to win. No, you went there to win. And when we got a lot of young players. You know, it's like, hey, there's a nice core of players here. If they can stay together and we can get some pitching, we, we can do something. I think one year we won 86 games, 85 or 86 84 games. 84 and 86. In, in the American League East, and it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, we're not that far away, but we were. <laughs> now, you've been around baseball for a long time. How was, I mean, traveling in the 80s as a, a ball player? I mean, obviously, I have to imagine it's kind of veered into a different direction nowadays, or was it similar? There's just more people on the plane. Okay. <laughs> There's just more. It's not like the Major League movie where they're like on buses and they're like taping the airplane, you know, propeller and all. None of that kind of stuff. It was first class. All It was the big leagues. You know, the food everywhere, whatever you wanted, you, you could have it. It, it, was, it was the exact same. The only difference is there's, you know, you'd have the 25 guys and a few coaches in the media. Now there's like 70 guys on the plane now, you know. And uh, we just recently lost uh, John Adams. Do you remember hearing him when you were playing? I mean, that was such of course, a of course. And I remember uh, after I, I met him and, and who he was, I was here in Cleveland for a, um, I think we were doing a fantasy camp reunion. And I was on my way to Toronto, and he was there, and he was hitting his drum and all that kind of stuff. And I said, uh, down on the field, and I, I, I said, I think, he said, do you want to take batting practice? And I said, yeah, sure. And I said, well, where's the bat? He goes, no, use my drum. I'm like, use your drum? So he would throw the ball, and I would take his drum and hit the ball at home plate. I don't know if you were there, Nate. Yeah, it was there. So then I went out on the mound and I threw him batting practice and he took BP with his drum and hit his drum. He goes, you're not gonna hurt my drum. And that's my story with John Adams and I was so sad to hear he passed away. But that, that's my story with that guy. It was, yeah, BP with his drum, kidding me? Yeah, true story. 
Any good stories about Bobby D? <laughs> <laughs> that we can tell? Yeah. Love Bobby D. Bobby D is the same guy today in 2023 as I met in 1983, 40 years ago. He's the exact same guy, and I think that's all you need to know about him. He's a wonderful guy, and Cleveland, Cleveland should be so proud to have somebody like that representing him. Has his golf game improved, though? Or? I haven't played with him for years. Is he still swinging left-handed? Oh, yeah. He's swinging left-handed. He's still slicing? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I haven't played with him for years, but... Uh, yeah, he's he's a he's a good good dude. Now, I think one of the, the highlights of your Cleveland tenure is the '87 All Star Game selection. Now, you didn't get into the 13th inning, did you? Were you under the impression that you weren't going to get in unless there was an emergency? John or? McNamara was the manager. He said, "I'll try and get everybody in," and it was in Oakland, and it was Mark McGuire's rookie year. And we both played first base, and he said, okay, I want you to go in for McGuire. And I said, there is no way I am going in for McGuire. There is no way. Uh, he, <laughs> it's in Oakland. I said, they wouldn't let me out of the stadium. I said, no, I'll, I'll sit on the bench, and, you know, if you can use me, use me. And um, it went into extra range. You couldn't see. The game started at, like, 4 o'clock or 4.30 or something like that, and you couldn't see for 10 innings. You couldn't see the ball. Hit it, hitting. So by the time I got in there, it, it, it had gotten dark. And I remember I was on deck, and I'm like, I'm going to win this game for us. Kevin Seitz, Rip Walk, we were facing Sip Fernandez. I'm like, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to win the MVP award. And I'm like, I'm going to do it, yeah. And I went up there, and I struck out. <laughs> so I, did, I didn't do any of that. But, hey, I was there, and I got in that bat. Now, All-Star Game announcements are so much bigger now than they were. Was it just something where your manager called you in the clubhouse and said? I think so. I remember we were in Texas, and we had a lot of deserving guys, and everybody had to have a, a representative, and I was lucky enough to be picked. And I was like, man, I don't deserve to do this. I mean, I, I was so intimidated when I went into that locker room for the first time and seeing the, the, the greats of the game. Kirby Puckett and and uh, Dave Winfield and Cal Ripken and the list goes on and on and on. I'm like, what am I doing with those guys? You know, but everybody had to be represented. I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, represent the Cleveland Indians to the best of my ability and hopefully I can do something. And but it was it was it was intimidating, but it was a heck of an experience. And I am so fortunate to be able to say that I was on that team. And I'm sure you get asked about your ability to hit with the bases loaded, but also being, uh, do you remember, you had five walk-off hits with Cleveland. Do you remember any of them? I remember one against Quiz uh, with the bases loaded. It's uh, one of those nights that we had like a walk-up crowd, and it was like jamming. It was part of that 10-game win streak, I think. I know I have one there. Um, I, somebody showed a film the other night or a, a highlight when I was doing the game and they showed a home run. I guess I hit a walk-off home run. I didn't know that. Uh, I did not know I had five. So I was just with Cleveland, too. Yeah, you had one really? Rick Waits in 84, then Quisenberry in uh, 86, and then next week against Greg Harris against Texas. It was uh, against Texas that, that – uh, oh, okay. And then Tom Needenfuhr. 
from Baltimore. Tom, Tom Needham, pure, sure. And Ray Burris, uh, also in 87, uh, against Milwaukee. So um, two of those were with bases loaded. Both had intentional walks in front of you, and you really? got the job done there. Um, now, your Cleveland career came to uh, an end in 88. Again, similar situation. Did, is it just, hey, you know, sit out, we might be having something going on? Uh, I think it was it was we were taking batting practice. We were in Detroit, and Doc Edwards called me in and said, "We just traded you to Kansas City. Call here, call this number, and and thanks, and we'll see you later." Shock, because I had I had just signed a two year contract. I had just bought a house out in Fairview Park. I had just put about thirty five thousand dollars into the house, and I was thinking about moving to Cleveland. And the week it got done, I got traded. And I had to go to Kansas City. My wife, she was pregnant with our third uh, uh, child. Six and four were the other two, and she was pregnant. Had to sell the house, got a U-Haul, packed all of our stuff up, drove it down to Cincinnati with the kids, and her brother helped out, and got all the stuff into our house, packed up our car, drove it to Kansas City, and found a place for us to live. And I'm telling you, that's special. That That's special. So um, that that's what I remember about that, that I had to go. I had to go meet the team wherever we were and I had to start playing with, with them. And she set everything up and that that's, uh, to be able to do that, 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 that's the kind of thing that people don't see and that, you know, special special lady you know special ladies to be able to do do that kind of stuff and so yeah always appreciative of that it you know i got traded but it affected the whole family do you remember who you were traded for blackie yeah and i i faced him like a week later and hit a home run against him in kansas city when um cleveland came to town he hung me a curveball i hit a home run at royal stadium against him and I saw him like a month ago when they were here. He's the manager of Colorado, and I reminded him of that. I just had to remind him of that. Is there a special <laughs> bond between you and the guy you're traded for? Or is that just kind of a... Oh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, we've just become friends over the years. So we had a very a mutual friend who we were both still really close to, George Brad. And George, George told me, he says, I didn't like you when you first came here because I was really good friends with Blackie. But now that I know you, I like you too. So, you know, that... That, that's why we'd be, we become friends. Just George Bray, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, did he have a response to your home run when you told, reminded him? Did he? Uh... He was like, oh, what's new? <laughs> you know. Now, what, um, what was the number 10? Was that just what you got, or did you? Yeah, that was just, that's what they Some guys have meaning to the number, and you just, yeah, whatever they throw at you. And... Back then, yeah. you're in the big leagues. You can give me 110. <laughs> I'll, I'm happy. <laughs> just, you know, I'm... I'm playing in the major leagues. And then, um, you know, 2001, they celebrate the 100th anniversary team. Um, you know, what was that Was like? that 2001? 2001. Holy smokes. <laughs> but the thing about this team wow. being, you know, 100 years old and, and getting selected, considering everyone that's come through uh, Cleveland, I mean, do you remember getting the car or the feelings being on the field? I mean, with Tommy and with, uh, I forget who else was out there at first, Andre Thornton, I think. And uh, I think... Um, uh, I remember Jim was like right after me and I was like, oh boy, I hope they don't boo me because they can't wait to cheer for Tommy, <laughs> you know? And um, 
uh, Andre was there. That's right. Uh, it, it, look, man, I, I'm an, a fortunate person and I'm fortunate to be associated with this organization. Even though I've been gone for so long, I always felt like this was home for me. And people like Bobby D and Nate, they've always made me feel welcome and part of this, even though I was gone for whatever, 35 years or whatever it was, I've always been part of this. So to be part of that, that 100 year thing, I mean, that's, that's really special. That really makes me feel good. And um, I guess your time in Cleveland, obviously you went on with, with Toronto and had success, success out there. I mean, do you feel like your time in Cleveland kind of set you up to uh, succeed later on? I mean, like I said, you went through some highs and lows here and kind of that level you have. Here's what happens. You get to the big leagues and you're happy. You're, you're in the big leagues. Then the next step, you want to stay there. And you want to have success there. Okay? And everything's about, you know, the team... And, and you and trying trying to, to help the team win. Then after a while, after you've been there for in the big leagues for a while, you want to win. And I got close when I was with Kansas City. I think three years in a row we finished behind the Oakland A's, 88, 89, and 90. They, they were in the World Series all three years, and we were second. And I'm like, man, we were that close. And I was with the Mets, and we finished second by like two games through the Pirates. And then when I went to Toronto, finally won. And it doesn't get any better than that. When I took that uniform off and I put it in my bag, we had just won the World Series, doesn't get any better than that. I'm like, I, I'm going to retire. And it, it took the, the, the winner. I'm like, you know what? Doesn't get any better than that. So you, you want to do well for yourself and all that. But after a while, you want to win. You want to be on a team that wins. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than winning a World Series. And any like final special memories of Cleveland, your time here? I mean, obviously a lot happens over the course of you know five seasons. It's tough to kind of cover a thing in a half hour. I don't want to keep you guys too late. Uh, being here, being from Ohio, uh, being a Buckeye, uh, I, I had more friends away from the ballpark when I was here uh, than I did when I in, in the locker room. So I met so many people that have become friends, and now to come back, like I just saw them, you know, I had lunch with a friend of mine I've known for 40 years, and we had dinner with a family that we've been friends with for over 40 years. And to tell those stories of those back in the day, I think my friend came to 75 games one year, 75 out of the 81 game, but it's, it's just, the the memories are just it just seems like it was like yesterday but it's been 35 40 years that's that's what i remember about about all this and we drove around our old neighborhood and saw our houses where we lived the all the all the places we lived here so it's a, it's it, this place holds a special place in my heart you went back to the house your wife packed up and, and yep Yes, yes, we did. It looks really nice, too. I'm like, I wish I lived there now because it's really nice, really nice. Well, awesome. Like I said, I don't want to keep you guys. I know you're on a, a time limit, so I appreciate you know, sure. taking the time. And, and You mentioned you might still have those wristbands somewhere. Are you ever going to down those for a, a game? Or you know what? I, I, when I was home, I opened up a drawer in my uh, desk, 
and I saw those wristbands. Awesome. And somebody, I saw somebody the last time I was here, and they that said, they're making a comeback. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You said they're making a comeback. Yeah. And and I, I saw that. I saw that. I've, I've got like seven of them <laughs> in, in my, in my uh, desk. <laughs> Uh, my wife said I have to give them to my grandkids. Yeah. She said that would be a really good memento for them. So I, I think we're going to frame them and give them to our grandkids. Do you I've have many mementos from your career? Or is it? I've got a whole basement full of stuff. I went around and got autographs and bats from you know Cal Ripken and Kirby and you know Don Mattingly and all that. I've got baseballs of Hall of Famers. Uh, they had that equitable old timers. And we were in Texas, and I got pictures with Ernie Banks and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, and they all, they all autographed balls, and I had a sanitary sock full of autographs. And I had one ball left, and it was for Joe DiMaggio. And they're like, Joe, do, Joe doesn't sign at these things. So I was so disappointed. So I had this whole sanitary sock full of them. We played the game, and the hotel was right next door to the ballpark. So at the end of the game, I get my sandy full of autographed balls, and I walk back to the hotel, and I'm like, ah, man, that would have been nice to get DiMaggio. Press the button for the elevator. They open up. Guess who's in there? Joe DiMaggio. And I go in there, and I go, Joe. And, and I think he remembered me because my first big league camp, like five years earlier, he was there and Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra and all those guys were there at my first big league camp. And I said, could you sign an autograph, Paul, for me? He said, sure. Joe DiMaggio, what an autograph. Two Pat, best wishes, Joe DiMaggio. That's in my collection. So uh, I got my Joe DiMaggio. Is that your most prized uh, artifact from your career? Probably or Johnny Bench and Pete Rose because of what they mean to me when I was growing up. Yeah, and my Johnny Bench rookie card. I could keep talking forever, but you guys have to go. So thank you again for uh, a lot of fun stopping by, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, send me those pictures. Yes, yes. You've been listening to Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast with Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor.